Some say that the competition between the United States and China uh, in terms of the quote-unquote AI race is overblown. I think in some cases that might be true, but there's a lot of truth to it in terms of who owns this technology, sort of setting the pace for what the next technological wave of the future will look like. And I think that some of that starts with base research, which the United States is currently leading in. Some of that uh, involves kind of orchestrating various bodies and groups and funding from maybe even government sources, where we might argue China has certainly a more united front. Very few people talk about education. Uh, executive education is obviously what we focus on here at Emerge. Uh, we have hundreds of thousands of folks visiting the site in a given month to learn more about their specific sector. But what about youth? What about K through 12? Where is that sort of playing a role in terms of the future of countries like the US, like Russia, like China? What are they doing to sort of position themselves into the future to make sure that their workforces are prepared to wield the technology that may, in many regards, uh, determine sort of the winners and the losers on an international scale? We dive into that topic with one of the folks who might know the very most about it. David Turetsky is a, a research professor at the Computer Science Department for the Center of the Neural Basis of Cognition at Carnegie Mellon. And he's also heading up an initiative around K-12 education for artificial intelligence in the United States. He knows a lot about what other countries are doing in that respect. And we go into sort of what China, what Russia, what the United States are up to, and also what David thinks we probably should be doing if we want to take our kind of position and our technological leadership um, into the 21st century from here. So without further ado, let's roll right in. I'm Dan Figella. You're listening to AI and Industry, and this is David Turetsky. So, David, where I wanted to start us off is sort of the lay of the land of AI talent in terms of international competition. You know, China's obviously making their push. Other countries sort of have various initiatives. Where is the state of the world in knowing what education means for sort of staying relevant? Well, all countries are trying to figure out what they should be doing about uh, AI education in K-12. China is showing tremendous progress. Their uh, turnout in uh, top-level AI and machine learning conferences has exploded the number of attendees, the number of accepted papers. So on the research side, China is really uh, an up-and-comer. On the education side, the Chinese government has mandated that all Chinese school children be taught about AI. And so what's happening right now is that the Chinese community is, is exploring many different approaches. So there are many different curricula that are being put out there. People are trying to figure out how to teach Chinese kids about AI, and they're trying all kinds of different things. Other countries are also moving ahead. So uh, the UK, um, they have a program called Computing at Home that is their national strategy for teaching kids about computing. And they're now looking at what should the strategy be for teaching kids about AI. Australia is starting to move forward. Uh, Thailand, Portugal, these are the countries uh, where I personally talk to people involved. I think everybody is is trying to find a way to incorporate AI into the curriculum and trying to figure out what that should look like and how they can move forward. You had actually mentioned sort of before we started rolling here, and I wonder if maybe you could emphasize it again, because I thought it was a neat jump off point, Vladimir Putin's quote as well. I don't know if you know anything about what Russia is doing for you know K through 12 AI education. Frankly, the country probably has bigger problems or just wants to get more tanks or something. But what was that quote? And, and is there anything that that ties to from what you know of Russia? 
So in 2017, Vladimir Putin gave an address to Russian school children, and, and he said to them, whoever leads in AI will rule the world. And that was widely reported. It's probably true, but I'm not aware of any current Russian efforts on AI education. I'm sure they're trying to do something, but I haven't seen uh, any details of that. Okay. So yeah, it might not be indicative of anything, but I guess the illustrative point, at least for me here, was that he wasn't speaking to the parliament, he was speaking to kids, because that's where the, the talent is ultimately going to come from. And clearly, that's something that you've kind of leapt into as well. In terms of maybe where the states are here, obviously, you're working on initiatives to sort of shuffle us forward. Maybe we could have some kind of an overlay of you know what the United States is potentially doing, and then sort of your own approach and take on maybe where they should go. Right. So uh, I chair something called the AI for K-12 initiative. Our mission is threefold. First, we are developing national guidelines for how to teach AI in K-12. And by guidelines, we mean what students should know and what they should be able to do. The second thing we're doing is developing a curated online resource directory of age-appropriate resources that teachers can draw upon to teach AI in their classrooms. And the third thing that we're doing is creating a community of AI resource developers to meet the need for more educational resources uh, teaching AI in K-12. So our project is a joint project between CSTA and AAAI. CSTA is the Computer Science Teachers Association. It's the leading professional association for people who teach computer science in K-12. And AAAI is the Association for the Advancement of Artificial Intelligence. Yeah. It's the leading professional organization for AI researchers and developers. So these groups came together to uh, form this AI for K-12 initiative, and we obtained funding from the National Science Foundation under the iTest program. And we're using that money to develop these guidelines, the resource directory, and to do this community building. We have a website called AI4K12.org, and people can go there and take a look at our current progress. Got it. Well, if you're a vendor company, I'd probably have to pause you, but being as this is all uh, happy, friendly, nonprofit stuff, URL drops, totally viable. So check that out for the folks who are interested. In terms of some of the practical elements here around education and kind of where you're you're headed, before going into the specifics, which I'm really interested in, David, and, and I'm sure you're going to have some illustrative ideas on, I'm curious as to maybe why you framed this as something important. I think that there are some folks who would maybe presume, you know, well, this international competition thing is is not all that relevant. You know, it doesn't necessarily matter how far China gets, so long as we're kind of chugging along at our own pace, that should be okay. Where did the urgency come from here? Is this more for making sure these kids have jobs moving forward? Is this making sure the kind of the U.S. economy is competitive internationally? Is there some kind of national security consideration here in terms of why you think education matters in a big enough way for this to be something you're sincerely de dedicating yourself to? Where does that urgency come from? So it comes from all those places. National security is certainly a big consideration. I think Putin was right. Whoever leads in AI could rule the world. Mm -hmm. The Chinese are certainly taking this seriously. They've publicly stated their goal of becoming the leaders in AI research by 2030, yeah. and they're making progress on that goal. It really is important, strategically important to the U.S. to maintain our leadership position. And so, so that's one consideration. But, but also, you know, the, the general public is increasingly exposed to AI 
in the media, and they don't know what to think. I mean, I think that the average person, the average layman thinks that we're going to have self-driving cars next month. Computers are going to put us out of a job next year. And then in five years, the robots are all going to become self-aware and murder all of us. So if that's what people think, I only have five years to get people educated about <laughs> yeah. what AI is really about. So so there's that need to have an informed populace because you know voters lead to policy. And if AI is going to be making these huge changes in the structure of our society, we want people to be well-informed about it. We want educated citizens. And then, of course, for kids, we want to guide them toward careers in this area. We, we don't want them to think about AI as magic. We want them to think about something that they can be involved with, that they can find fulfilling career paths. And you know, some jobs are likely to go away because of AI. Some jobs are likely to change, and there will be new jobs created. We want to be prepared for this. I actually really think you brought up an interesting point, David, that I think is, is understated. When people think about education, often with AI, it's adult education. It's kind of retraining your technical staff or retraining your non-technical staff to at least have familiarity with the concepts or maybe even be able to you know, be handy with artificial intelligence. Certainly, at least in our world, we don't hear that much about the K through 12. Um, but even when we do, I think it's mostly about securing jobs for those people and less about, I think, something really relevant, which is policy, that these are going to be increasingly relevant at a national scale, at an international scale, where AI is going, how we're going to treat it, how we're going to handle it, how we're going to allow companies to use it, how we're going to use allow companies outside the country to use it. And it seems like maybe if those concepts are better understood, we can make better judgments overall as a country. I thought that, that was a pretty interesting point. Is there anybody else beating that drum or do you find yourself alone there? No, I think a lot of people who thought about the issue feel the same way, that, that we do need an informed citizenry. And you know, you're seeing all these moral questions come up now about the ethics of AI. So some AI systems raise questions about whether they were designed ethically or whether they're being used in ethical ways. So for example, systems that make decisions about people, if you're deciding whether someone gets a mortgage or not, or whether they are eligible for parole or not, you want to make sure that those systems are unbiased and that they are transparent, that you can understand why they make the decisions that they make. And that's not always been the case. So there have been a lot of news stories uh, oh, yeah. of, of unintended consequences of AI systems that were poorly designed or where the ethical issues weren't adequately considered or there was unintended bias in the system that was discovered after the fact. And if you, know, if you have a relentless beat of these negative stories, it's going to shape the way people think about AI and we want them to have a more balanced, more informed understanding than that. Completely understood. And I, I think that having some sense of that nuance is really important from a policy perspective. Hopefully some of these grounded opinions and lay of the lands sort of make their way to the general population. I think that unfortunately the Terminator stock images tend to be the ones that are going to get the most uh, Facebook likes, but hopefully amidst all that hubbub, there could be some grounded perspectives to help people make make smarter calls. You know, on, on the practical side, thinking about this as maybe a next place to, to lead here, you know, clearly this is a new project, this idea of building this resource center and, you know, putting together kind of best practices around education or, or you know, rubrics and whatnot. Are there some ideas that for you, you, you feel quite strongly about in terms of places where maybe we should start? Obviously, many things are up in the air and there's a lot more work to be done, but are there some things that you think maybe just U.S. in general or school systems in general really should be doing 
now without even having to do more homework on it? Any strong feelings there? Well, I think we can start right away. I mean, the biggest the biggest pushback I get on this AI for K twelve initiative is skepticism about teaching AI in the K two grade band. People say, "What do you need to teach a kindergartner about AI for?" And my response to that is. By the time they get to kindergarten, they're already familiar with AI. There are multiple reports now of little kids whose first word isn't mama or data, it's Alexa. <laughs> These kids are, they, they've never lived in a world where computers couldn't see and hear and talk to you. And by the time they're in kindergarten at five, they've been talking to intelligent assistants, Alexa, Siri, whatever. They've heard their parents interacting with GPS that talks to you. They, yeah. They've got you know face recognition, Snapchat filters. They're just very familiar with AI technologies, but they don't know how they work. To a five-year-old, it's all magic. And so it's not too early to be teaching five-year-olds about AI because they are already comfortable with it and living with it. Yeah, obviously you'll need to find the analogies that that work for a five-year-old mind, but I can see where you're going. And I do think that there's really something to be said of an entire generation born where a place where there really isn't a digital physical divide, a virtual physical divide. It is all the world. You know, the machines talk. It's not an interface where I push a button. That's a real button that does real things in the real world. You know, this is the reality of of people born into today. And I think that, you know, in, in 20 years from now, that will be massively evident. Last question that ties to this education point, um, simply because I guess when it comes to the education that that I'm somewhat familiar with, some of it's adult education, much of it is in, in school, maybe some in high school. Leading out of K-12, you know, folks head into university often, if they're going to do advanced anything in AI. There's a pretty big, you're talking about national security and our, our economic viability here. There's a big divide between national security concerns and between academia, between the world of Silicon Valley and the world of Washington, just kind of politically. I mean, I remember living in the Bay Area for a number of years, and pretty obvious that if you have, you know, like an American flag out your window without some other flag to go along with it or something, you're you're pretty much a nationalist, and that's pretty much bad. You know, there, there's a strong polarity kind of away from the state, maybe seeing the country as sort of, to some degree, having having a, a rough or kind of colonial background, a military being inherently bad across the board, borders being inherently bad across the board. This is often, more often to be the extreme on a university campus than otherwise. A lot of folks in industry have talked about this gap. Do you see that as something that education addresses or accentuates, or if maybe you don't see it as a concern for our future viability? Um, I'm interested in your take. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, historically, a lot of AI research has been funded by the military. Yes. So the early self-driving car research was funded by DARPA. In fact, even the later self-driving car research, things like the DARPA Grand Challenge, that was Defense Department money funding work on self-driving cars. But yes. now, a lot of the self-driving car research has moved to the commercial sector. Yeah. And we see that a lot. A lot of the early speech recognition work was also funded by the Defense Department. Yes, indeed. And now, of course, you know, you talk to Siri or Alexa or, or Google Home, and these are all commercial products. So it doesn't seem to me that these political issues about whether, whether you know, we want to use AI for military applications or not, that's a different sphere. That's the political sphere. And I'm more concerned with the technical sphere, right? Let's, let's figure out what we can do with this technology and the political decisions 
they need to be made in a different context, not not in my laboratory. Yeah, certainly. And it sounds as though you're of the belief that there is relevance to a competitive standing of the country. You seemed reasonably convinced of that. It sounds as though, again, the work that you see yourself doing is more of, hey, well, let's just get the tech skills up. And then in terms of kind of bridging the gap between, you know, people feeling okay to do things like like what you had said, right, national security concerns, making, you know, someone out of Stanford or, or Brown sort of feel like they're not a bad guy for doing that will ultimately be somebody's job. But but it will be a very separate thing for making sure that they're proficient in the skills. Yes, and, and I'm not arguing that we should ignore the ethical issues. In, in fact, one of the first things that we did in the AI for K-12 initiative is we came up with a list of the five big ideas in AI. And one of those five big ideas is societal impact, which includes ethical considerations. Yeah. So we want people to think about the ethical applications of AI, what things are okay to do and what things are not okay to do. But there are many educated, well-intentioned people who come down on different sides of the argument about whether it's okay to use technology for military purposes. Yeah. And so so I'm not going to tell you what the right answer is. I, I think that's a very complicated issue. What I do want students to do is to be able to ask the right questions. Uh, that, that's uh, that's pedagogy, I suppose. And is there is there anything more that maybe we could hope for there? I think that, again, I, I don't know all the right answers on the military side of things as well. I, I'm pretty well acknowledging of the, the divide, at least from what folks in the government and on the, the defense side have said. But as you'd said, maybe if we can ask the right questions, we're more likely to, to land in the right spot when those hard questions get asked. It sounds like maybe that's the, the role of education. That's right. That's That's what I believe, yes. Well, I think that's a reasonable take-home point, and I, I suspect that much of the audience is going to resonate with you on that one, David, and I sincerely appreciate you being here and sharing some of your insights on AI and industry. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of AI and Industry. This is your host, Dan Fagella. I hope that we catch you next week. Many of our executive listeners often get great ideas from our podcasts or our newsletters, but they end up coming to us for more help. So they might see some research project that we did with the World Bank, and they might want to do some of their own research on deeper market opportunities for AI in a specific sector or understanding the growth rates of AI in a certain domain. Uh, They might have seen some AI business strategy work that we've done with a pharmaceutical company and maybe ask about things along those lines or see one of the presentations that we've given at the United Nations and ask if we can speak at an event. Uh, And while we certainly do these things, uh, we're certainly involved with clients on pretty big projects on a regular basis. A lot of the time, these messages will just end up in my personal inbox. People will find my email or they'll just find me on LinkedIn and send along a message. And this ends up being actually pretty tough to juggle at this point, given the travel schedule and given all the, the client projects that we're involved in. And few people actually know, particularly people who only listen to the podcast and, and aren't on emerge.com or on the newsletter, uh, don't know that we actually have a services page that lists what we can help with. So we are not the best at everything, but in terms of what we do, which is mapping the capability space of AI and conveying that to executives and ways that help them win in the market, specific services tailored to that can be found at emerj.com services. 
So here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, we work with government departments, we work with public companies, uh, we work with organizations who are serious about making AI a competitive advantage. And again, we actually do list sort of the programs that we have. So many of the podcast listeners don't know this. These messages end up in my inbox and then I'm you know, traveling for two weeks and I feel really bad that I get back to people later, but you can reach us through that services page or simply send along an email at services at emerj.com, services at emerj.com. From there, Dylan or Marcus or one of our team members will be able to get back to you much more quickly uh, than I would via LinkedIn. So if you're interested in doing more with what you've learned here, if you have serious business initiatives related to artificial intelligence and you want to take your organization to the next level, just simply reach us at emerge.com slash services. That's emerj.com slash services, or just email services at emerge.com. That's emerge with a J. So thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, again, we're going to be diving into AI use cases and trends and conveying the transferable lessons that you can bring to your organization. And I look forward to having you here next week.